Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 12 of the success series. We are here at Universal Studios. As you can see behind me, the Sheraton Universal is sitting right there, as well as the Universal Studios Park. Our guest of today is Jeff Rosen. Jeff is an executive producer that's produced some of the largest shows in Hollywood. We're excited to show you what he's got on stage. Jeff, it's an absolute pleasure to be back here with you at Universal Studios. Jeff has a long left of production history and successes both in Universal but throughout Hollywood. And uh, Jeff, we'd love to hear a little bit more about your story and how you got here and the journey to, uh, to where you are today. Yeah, no, thank you for being here, David. I, I feel like I'm very lucky in that I knew really early on that I had a passion for working in television. When I was probably in middle school, like fifth grade, um, I, I was home from school for like a month. I got really sick and I was watching TV and I was like, this is such a great escape and like so entertaining. And it's just making me feel better in my day. And how do I be part of that? And I used to watch the show in the, in the like late nineties, early two thousands, the Ricky Lake show, which was a sure. huge show. And I said, I want to get to New York and work on that show. And so I moved to New York when I was 18 and I researched like, where does the show tape and how do I be part of it? And I put on the one suit I owned, this big oversized, didn't fit me at all. Sure. And I walked down there and I was like sweating and I was like, you know, just somebody might spot me. I want to make sure I look my best. Right. And I walked in, I said, how do I become an intern here? And they said, oh, fax your resume to this number. That's fact. crazy that we don't even use faxes no anymore. Yeah, no emails. Yeah. Email, I think, was like, it was around, but they said fax it. I just remember that vividly. And I walked out of the building and I said, if I fax my resume, it's going to sit in a pile with hundreds of other resumes. So what can I do to stand out? Right. And an idea hit me. I walked by this, this shoe store. And I bought a shoe, a little shoe for like $4 right. and I got a box and I put my resume on the bottom of the box and I put the shoe on top of the resume and a scroll of paper in the shoe that said, now that I have my foot in the door, please read my resume. And they called me like two days later, and I got the job and I was like, where did that inspiration to be as creative as that with your resume come from? Was it just like a moment in time that you're like, this is how I'm going to do it or, you know, the, 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 yeah, the, I don't know where that comes from. It's just a desire to chase after something and do it in a way that's not conventional sure. and do it in a way that will somehow stand out. Still, still authentic to you, but, um, you know, I just, faxing my resume, I didn't think it was going to get me what I wanted. Right. So. There's got to be a way to stand out. So I had to stand out. And that was the beginning. That was the first show I ever worked on. And from there, various shows. You know, and here we are today. Did you have that desire and inspiration as a child? Was that always the thought, I'm going to be in Hollywood? This is what I want to do with my life. I always loved entertainment. And I always loved the idea that television reaches so many people and does so much for so many people. It's family night at home. Like, it's the holidays where you all gather around the television. It's my grandmother. When my grandfather died, she would keep the television on for company. And it would just be like, it would just be company in her house for her. And so it reaches people in such different ways. It can inspire, it can entertain, it can, it can, you know, if you have a really intense high pressure job, if you're a firefighter, if you're a doctor, you come home at the end of the day, you turn it on to unwind. And to be part of something like that is um, special. And I don't take it for granted. What was your childhood like? A lot of our, our guests that are either founders or top executives 
came from you know various childhoods did you grow up middle class upper class lower class and what was your family dynamic like we grew up in boca and um we had a my parents went through a very tough divorce that impacted my siblings and i and it was you know in the house it was very you just sort of never knew what each day was going to bring sure and so in some ways, maybe that drove me to wanting to do something that, like you look around, this is New York Street. Right. It's not really New York. It was created to be New York. Right. And maybe it drew me to an industry where you could just create the world that you wanted. Right. And I have great parents. I have great siblings. I'm very lucky for that. Um, but the divorce was tough on us. And... Um, and it definitely ignited a lot of my passions. Right. So, and to this day, was your relationship with your family easy, you know, throughout your beginning of your career and, and up till now? I'm very lucky that I have parents who supported me chasing my dreams, even if it meant not going the safe route every time. So like I never finished college. Wow. Um, I, you know, and to have parents who were like, well, as long as you're chasing your dreams and you're working and you're doing what you love and you have fire in you, then, then do it. And that's not every parent. And I feel that worked for my personality that they, I felt like I had that support behind me to do what I really wanted to do. The secret with these trams is that if we wave and there's people in them, they think we're movie stars. Right. <laughs> Completely. So where we are right now, this is Brownstone Street on the Universal Backlot. And a lot of shows that take place in New York don't actually film in New York. They film right here, which is oh. really cool. But if you go into any of those brownstones, hollow. it's hollow. It's a construction site. Nothing in it. Wow. So it's kind of a cool, like, yeah, a lot of it happens here. You look around like... What they do is this looks like a box office, but they use it in so many different ways. They can redress it depending on what the project is. Um, movies, TV, commercials, a lot of stuff happens. Right. Yeah. What are some notorious films that have been recorded on this block here? Well, um, there was, you know, there's tons, tons of universal movies and TV like um, uh, Bruce Almighty, Evan sure. Almighty, the Jurassic Park franchise, all those movies and shows sure. are universal. Some of our childhood favorites. Yeah, yeah. Were. So you hear a lot of noise because this is a working back lot. And what you're hearing is uh, tram tours from the Universal Park. Sure. So a lot of people come from around the world to see the sets of movies and TV shows. But also it's a working set. So you see, you know, some of the equipment here. They are, they are building. Oh, wow. You know, what will be the next movie or TV show that films here? Sure. So like we can't enter here today because they're building an active film set. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. Yeah. But if we were to go past there, what you would right. see is the iconic clock tower from Back to the Future, which you asked me, sure. one of the most iconic movies of all time, Back to the Future filmed right behind us, that's which incredible. is, to me... Which, which scene? That's the scene where he's driving in with tower. the car and the yeah. lightning strikes. Courtyard in the middle, sure. the diner, the coffee shop, yep. where he's on the hoverboard, all right. that stuff. Jumping from your personal family life, after college, so you, you left college. How many years into it were you? Um, I was two years into college. Okay. Um, and what I was doing was I was taking night classes and weekend classes so that I could work during the day. Okay. Um, 
and then actually it was not an easy story to start with. So um, I was at a school and I got this internship at Ricky Lake, but you need to have college credit and the college needs to sign off. And I was 18 years old. I hadn't even completed one course sure. and the college was like, great that you got this internship, but we don't know you. We're not going to sign off on this. You can't do that. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I came here to study communications, but to work in television, they met me for 15 minutes. They're going to take a chance on me. You're not going to take a chance on me. You're not going to. Like, that was the whole idea of all of this. Yeah. Right? I don't want to sit in, in a class and learn TV production. I want to be on a production. And it was a whole thing. And I had to fight it, fight it, fight it. And finally they said, well, we'll write you a letter. We'll allow you to do it, but you're not going to get the credit. For it. And so how old are you at that time? 18 turning 19. 18. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And was, was your desire trumping your fear? Like where did all that fear go of not knowing what was going to happen? I couldn't stop. Wow. I couldn't stop. I wanted it so bad. It was the whole reason I moved to New York from Boca. Wow. And then, okay. So then you were in New York, 22 years old, 18 at the time. Yeah. What happened beyond that? So what did the next stage of your career look like from there? I wanted to be a producer because in the game show world in the talk show world in the in the unscripted world the producers really are in charge of the content and the creative and that's what i loved i loved writing scripts i loved producing guests you know booking celebrities interviewing celebrities and um so i knew that i had to segue from this internship at ricky lake to being a producer on a show where i can do all of those things but what i did was Whatever the job I had, I wasn't always focused on what was going to be next. I was fully in the job I had. And when I was working on Ricky Lake, there was a producer there who said, my friend is starting up a brand new show with Martha Stewart. She's just out of prison. It's going to oh, be wow. big. What year was this? This is 2005, 2006, around then. Okay. It's going to be big. Right. She was in the paper every day. There was a lot of interest. And um, you should meet with him to work on this show. Sure. So I met with this person to work on this show. And they said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a producer. And they wrote that on my resume and they sort of highlighted it. Okay. And they called me a few weeks later. And I started as a production assistant because that's where you start before you become a producer. That was, I got on to Martha Stewart as a production assistant. And then I moved up to associate producer and then ultimately producer there. And that was my first time actually producing content. And I was producing people I loved, like Snoop Dogg and Jimmy wow. Fallon and all these people and meeting them and getting to craft questions and interviews and writing for them. And it was just, it was the time of my life. I loved it so much. I remember, I remember um, the first time Snoop Dogg was going to be on the show. Yeah. He was so busy and there was a show on MTV called TRL, okay. Total Request Live. And it was the last night of the show ever. It was 10 years old last night and he was a guest on that show. And that was the only time he could give me a pre-interview where I could ask him questions right. to come onto the Martha show. There was no time prior to There was no time. He was jam-packed schedule. So um, I'm waiting for the call and I get the call from his publicist and he said, okay, Snoop's backstage, but he has 10 minutes now. If you can talk, I said, I'm ready. I can do it. So Snoop gets on the phone and there's no hello. There's, he just starts rapping. He just starts rapping. And I'm listening and I'm like, what? What's going on here? What do I do? And you're just sitting across the room? I'm on the phone. I'm on the phone. And he's rapping, he's rapping, and then he finishes and he said, What did you think? I'm like, I said, not bad. I said, not bad. So, um, 
So it was good. You know, it was off to a good start, an awkward start. But um, that's the funniest thing ever. <laughs> and I said, look, I know you only have 10 minutes, but um, he was promoting a show on the E! Network all about fatherhood. Okay. I said, Snoop, could we do a whole thing where you give your lessons on fatherhood? And can we do it in the way that you speak? Like in your Snoop twistics? Like, sure. With his lane, he's got his own lane. That's what he called it. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I love that. Just write it up and then we'll, we'll, you know, I'll, I'll deliver. And, you know, I was bouncing ideas off of him and he was approving things and not approving things, whatever. Right. And so comes showtime. It's a live show. We're on the air at 10 a.m. He arrives like, I don't know, a few minutes before. <laughs> and, um, you know, me, I'm frenetic and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and he is so calm, cool and collected. And so I'm literally briefing him in the hallway as he's about to walk onto the set to do this live show with Martha. And I'm like, Snoop, here are the tips on fatherhood, here are the... And we're going through the whole thing. He's like, I got it, I got it. He puts it in his pocket. He goes out there and he delivers like you, like he had been practicing for months. Really? The consummate entertainer and pro. So good. And you as a producer are so rewarded in that. Right. Like when your segment goes well, when your guest kills it like it, there's no greater feeling there's no greater feeling and you know i'm standing next to the cameras with the with the cue cards just in case like he needs any cues or he was he didn't need anything is that atypical from a lot of the the top you know actors and and musicians that you've worked with in the past you know it's case by case everybody's different but i would say that um there's a reason a lot of these stars are where they are right. and are able to captivate audiences so brilliantly i mean they are they're show people, you know, and they just command a screen. And it's like whatever word you suggest, you know, on paper, in a script, or the way they elevate that and the way they deliver, it's it, mind-blowing. I mean, talking about Martha, right. we, we had a whole craft team, a whole cooking team that would be preparing and developing recipes and, and crafts and projects. And they would put it in front of her for the first time right before a show she would look at it for two minutes she'd make like three adjustments she said mm, this is probably the better way to do it and it would be flawless i mean she was she was incredible yeah um same with dr ross that was another show i did and he was somebody who brilliant mind yeah and actually one thing that i feel is very similar about all of these people is a curiosity every one of them is so curious about learning things and hearing what people have to say and it makes them interesting right. to just care about what other people think. Right. Sec. As somebody on the outside, we hear all the glamour in Hollywood, see the flashy lights, you see the final productions. What are some of the biggest challenges as a producer in Hollywood? When you do something that's creative, there's no, this was done, this is right, this is wrong. It is so subjective. And you are playing with a lot of money, a lot of other people's money. Right. You know, these projects are mi many millions of dollars and you have to get people to trust your creative vision sure. on something so that they can write you a check to go and execute a multi-million dollar show. I think it can be hard and sometimes it's a lot of rejection and it's a lot of people criticizing your ideas and, right. and having opinions about, you, you know, what you're doing and you just have to know that you're in this position for a reason. And have and trust trust where it comes from in you and take the criticism and a lot of times the criticism is useful to you it makes you better but it's hard it's a lot of pressure and you right. and you want to deliver for the 
for your team. You want to deliver for the people who are funding your projects. You want to create successful projects that last and make a difference in the world. You don't want to create something that fizzles up and goes away after a month or two. Interesting. Even if you can profit off it, right? That's not the, it's. Yeah, it's not about that. Because in other it, industries it, it is, yeah. right? Yeah. It's like, okay, let's just make as much money as we can. The company falls apart, that's fine. Yeah. But in production, it's not the case. It's not, uh, there are there are certain people on the business side where that is. They're like, just let's make a lot of money. And if it yeah. doesn't, yeah. Where, where that's a lot more important. But, but the creative side, the joy and the fulfillment comes from being able to put like a vision out there. Right. From being able to like, not just do the next thing of the thing that's working, but to create the first thing that everybody else wants to, right, to do. You know, I can't tell you how many times, you know, a show like, I mean, a scripted show like Shit's Creek or Ted Lasso comes out. Oh, what's the sure. next Ted Lasso? An unscripted show like what I do um, called, you know, an unscripted show like The Masked Singer comes out. What's the next Masked Singer? What's the first mass singer? What's the feeling where your gut is churning the night before your show premieres because you just made a huge risk and you don't know if it's going to work? Wow. Everybody should have gut churning moments in their life. That's how you know you got a flame inside you. Gut churning. Look for those moments. It means you're doing something. It means you're taking a chance. There's never a 100% guarantee of anything, right? Especially in production. No. How can you ensure that the likelihood of a positive outcome is as high as possible? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, yeah, you do have to, you can't just live on a cloud and be creative. Oh, I'm creative. I'm a vision. Right. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good point. Um, no, there are. Because your stomach could turn for many reasons, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. That's, I, I, Food you ate last night, hopefully. Yes. No, that is a very fair question, David. Um, um, what I would say is this is where the value of a really strong team comes in. And I'm not the first person to say this, but. You know, if you've got on your team a producer who is really creative, pair them with somebody who's not a no person, but who's a really great budget financial person who wants to find creative ways to make things work. Mm -hmm. Pair them with the right people so that you got someone looking out for the budget. You got someone looking out for the creative, someone looking out for the logistics. And I think that's where you can marry all those things together and not just be so we've heard a little bit about your professional journey in achieving your success and working your way up the ladder. Was there time for fun, enjoyment? Of course, your work, I'm sure you enjoyed that as well, but separate from that. Um, you know, my 20s, I was chasing a career in New York City and I was like living like a like, don't get me wrong. It was really hard, yeah. but I was loving what I was doing. I was working from 6 a.m. till 11 p.m. And then maybe like going to a bar or something afterwards. Because when you're in production, when you shoot a show, you can't just go home afterwards. Right. You got all this adrenaline. You got to like let it out somehow. You can't just hit the pillow. There's no hitting the pillow. You know, my 20s, I was chasing, I was chasing a career. And, right. and it felt like that was my number one priority because it was a dream. And I was also doing it in New York, which was also a dream to live sure. there. And... You know, I'd be working from 6 a.m. to like 9, 10, 11 uh, p.m. And then going out afterwards because that was just the culture. Right. Um, but that was my main goal. I think like, you know, relationships, uh, I, I sort of back burner for a while. Yeah. Yeah. 
And you didn't, there wasn't a craving for that? You, you were able to kind of say, you know, this is my focus now. And oh, I'm not, there was definitely a craving for it every once in a while. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, um, but I was very focused. Yeah. I was very focused. There was a turning point where that, where the, the balance shifted a little bit. And I wanted more of that balance, actually. Um, I would say my late 20s. A vast majority of our audience are a younger generation, 20s, 30s, some figuring out what they want to do professionally. Is that necessary to live a life where you're completely consumed in your work in order to be successful? Or do you think that there is a path where it's like a 50-50 split and you can enjoy, have fun, and then spend you know 50% of your time working hard? My experience um, and how I would answer that question is that there is no right answer. I think everybody's journey is unique. And as soon as you start sticking to it can only be this or it can only be that, that's when you limit yourself and trap yourself. I think when you have a desire for anything that's great enough, you can make it work and you can work it into your life. You know, maybe not every day it's 50-50. Maybe there are times when this gets more, times that this gets more. But if your desire is strong enough, find a way. Find a way. It's all possible. It's all possible. Anytime I've thought something is not possible, it's the second I've limited what I was able to do. Really? Yes. The second I said, there's got to be a way, and you put your head down, it could be work, it could be parenting, it could be relationships, it could be anything. Inspiration. Just be open. Off camera, you and I have had m many conversations about your spiritual journey, different practices. Were you a spiritual person growing up? And what spirituality are you practicing today and how does that influence your life? I had spirituality in me growing up, but I didn't have a term for it. I didn't know what it was. And then I discovered Kabbalah and I was like, oh, this is exactly who I am and what I think. I just didn't know there was a whole practice around it. So um, when I found that, I was like, clicked. And what it did for me in all areas of my life was impact my experience of the things happening around me. So I like to use the metaphor that like, before I had this practice, this knowledge about Kabbalah, I was in the back of the plane, right? And when there was turbulence, I had white knuckles. I was nervous, I was impacted, right. you know? But with the tools, I'm in the cockpit with the pilot. I got all the, I, I have a lot more control over what my ride is going to be like. You can't control everything, but you can control, you have more control over your experience of it. And that's what it does for me. We just got out of a writer's strike, out of an actor strike. We're, I'm in a business that is so, a show gets greenlit, a show gets canceled. It is so, it is the least steady thing you could possibly choose to do, right? But to have something that keeps you balanced during all of that is tremendously so um, we've been walking and talking. What I have not mentioned is all the places we've been sort of walking through. Um, we're about to go into Europe, uh, Universal Europe. And one of the last big, great shows that actually shot here was The Good Place oh, with wow. Ted Danson and Kristen Bell. The main things that I live by that I love so much that I learned from your father, from, from, from different Kabbalah teachers, is when the world around you is shaky. That's the time to be steady. But when the world around you is like this, that's when you go and shake things up. And that, living by that, I love that so much. Like, to me, that is so genius and so important. 
So you had a good life prior to studying Kabbalah, successful producer, you had your people around you. Why was there an opening for spirituality in your life? I just had, I don't know how to answer that question other than to say, I knew there was more than what met the eye. I knew there was more. I knew it was in me. Like spirituality was in me before I knew it was in me. And I think what it was for me was when I heard something intellectually, it just, it just turned on that light even, even more. But I always felt it. I always felt it. And I think when it comes to purpose, look inward instead of around you. Because what they're doing and how they're doing it is, it, it may be inspiring. You might be able to benefit from some of the, the learnings of it, but it's not where it's going to come from. It's going to come from in here. So learn from people, inspire from people, but don't try to replicate what they're doing. Not, don't try to take their purpose and make it your purpose. That's not your purpose. And when people give you advice, take it with a grain of salt. It's, you know, it's not always... Just because they're successful and they tell you yeah. something should be done a certain way, doesn't mean it's the only right. path to it. That's right. And I think in, in today's generation with social media being so prevalent, we see things online and we see the successes and we think that their path to it is the only path to it. And oftentimes, as I'm sure you know, being in, in the production world, so much of what you see is not real. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is all, this is all an illusion. This sign says all chocolate, everything. There's not one piece of chocolate in that building. I'm telling you right now. Or anywhere near it. That's right. There's no chocolate. Yeah. What is your proudest moment to this date? And then what is your most disappointing moment? Okay. Something just came to me that I didn't expect. So I'm going to share it about my proudest moment. Um, there were a lot of times when I wanted to throw the towel in because it was too hard. I wasn't making money. I was barely surviving. And I didn't. I didn't throw the towel in. So many times I was like, what am I doing? Like, is it worth it? And I didn't fall for that trap. That's my proudest. And those, the, the people who are 18, 19 now starting, don't fall for that trap. You know if you are on the right path and you know when you need to pivot. Stop asking everybody else if you should pivot. You know, just quiet noise. You know. I've been in situations where... Shows have not worked out, and and this is talking specifically career-wise, but where shows have not worked out, and people had to look for other work and didn't have jobs, and that's really hard because you do feel like you're creating a team and you want it to go, and you you know you connect with these people on your team, and and when something doesn't work out, you know I, I would take it hard. That's that's challenging. Completely, and. I'm sure like any other 20 year old, when you were younger, you're really hard on yourself. Yeah. You want this to work. You feel like if this doesn't work, nothing else will. Yeah. What are some things that you did or do now that mitigate that pressure and stress to perform at such a high level all the time? I allow myself to be down and I don't run from being down. I allow it and I say to myself, it's okay. I don't make up excuses for why it's not okay. It's okay to be down. It's okay to be low. Mr. Rogers, who's one of my heroes in television, played the piano. He said, some days you just hit the low notes. Some days you just hit the low notes. And that's okay. Just make sure the next day or the day after that, you get back up. That's it. That's what I learned. Hit the low notes and be okay with it. That's huge because I can speak personally and I, from many other, usually younger men, we, we feel that it's never okay to be down, that we have to be strong, resilient for ourselves, for those around us. 
And so we almost run away from that, that feeling, right? We're so scared to sit in it. And that might be the, the only reason why it's prolonging it. And then I think that's, it's, it's just so prevalent. I've, I've experienced that time and time again. When we talk to our guests, you know, we ask a different question every time. We say, if there's something that people don't know about you, even those that know you pretty well, it's one thing that you would want them to know. What would you say? Well, I'm going to say right after we wave to this tour bus. <laughs> this, is a, this is actually something new that I learned about myself. Which is that behind every decision I make in my personal and professional life, it all goes back to one thing. One lifelong quest which is living in your authenticity. Every decision I'm making is going to come back to that question. Is this authentic to me? Is this relationship allowing me to helping me be the person I'm meant to be? Is this job help? This job is not what I'm meant to be, but is it helping me be the person I'm meant to be? That makes like, that's, that's actually a very new revelation for me. In essence, it's making every decision from your true self, not influenced by any external factors or other people. Or... At least trying to, yeah. Right. At least trying to. And I think like who you are changes in your lifetime. And so remaining true to your authenticity also changes. And, and so it's a constant check-in with yourself. Right. And I'm always doing that. I'm always doing that. And it's hard. Sometimes you're confused. Like, does this make sense for me? Like, why, why does this not sit right with me? Sure. But that's... That is a major driver for me. What's one thing that you've been seeking clarity for in life that you still don't have clarity on? Can I do more? Can I do more? Is this my limit? Can I do? Yeah. Can I pack more into a day? Can I think of more ideas? Can I be more in my, in my relationships? Can I make more? Uh, all of it. Like... Like, does more ever end? Can you just constantly have more? Like, where wow. is where, where is the, the more? threshold? Where yes. is the yeah yeah? When is it finally like I? This is as busy as I can possibly be. This is the most yeah. Like, or is there never a point? And I don't like slow. I like fast. And I right. don't. I'm not like a vacation person. And if I am a vacation person, I'm going to like a city, not to a beach. Sure. Like, there's something about movement that I think is like really. It actually relaxes me in some crazy way. Um, I constantly seek the answer to is like, how much more? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. This, by the way, is <laughs> a set piece from Back to the Future, Lion Estates. Wow. Just happened to be hanging out in this random area here. Yeah, yeah it's incredible. Yeah. What's the most, we're walking by a stage set now, so what's the most exciting production you've ever worked on? There's a few that I have found very exciting. There's one that we recently developed and is on the air right now called That's My Jam with Jimmy Fallon. And it's just a fun music variety game show where celebrities come on and you get to see all their wild talents. When the show actually first premiered, there was this um, battle between Ariana Grande and Kelly Clarkson that was so great. You can find it online. But just like seeing celebrities in an unexpected way, sure. that was a fun one to be part of. <clears throat> I loved working on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, that game show, because that was such an iconic format. And all I was doing was giving away money to people who deserved it right. and finding contestants around the country and, and booking them on the show and hearing their stories and then letting them win money. Wait, wait. That was 
I can only imagine. We, yeah. One of the stages we're actually walking past right now is The Voice, where they filmed The Voice for NBC. So you had a vision for yourself at an early age, specific show you wanted to be on. You manifested that. You've manifested much more in your career, and we're here with you today. What are some key things that you did that allowed you to manifest your desires? What I think would be anybody who's like 18, 19, who's just starting out, this is the most exciting time in your life. This is the most exciting time. You're now not with your parents. It's not their life anymore. It's your life. Enjoy the chase. Enjoy the chase. It's your life. You're crafting. You're molding. Stop being so focused on the results right away. The results will chase you. Just mold and shape and craft and enjoy putting it all together because it's yours now. Young adults get so wrapped up in the pro you're like, where are the results? I'm, I'm 21 years old. I want the money. I want the success so quickly. And there's actually only pain in that process because you're not enjoying any of it. And you're often overlooking that this is, uh, we, we heard this in a previous episode. The process is the, is the, is the, is the reward. There's no, there's no reward beyond that. Your entire life is a process. And so, yeah. If you have that feeling and I had that feeling and a lot of people have that feeling, what I would say is use that feeling. Don't let that feeling use you. Use that feeling to wake up earlier. Use that feeling to go to sleep later. Use that feeling to get to your next level so that you are not being used by that feeling. That feeling can't bring you down. That feeling can't crush you. That feeling can't you decide what you're going to do with that. Right. Like the analogy you gave of, are you the pilot or are you sitting on the back of the plane? That's right. That's right. By the way, also expect that feeling. And that feeling is an indication that you are driven, that you have fire, that you want something out of this life, that you want to give something to this life. That feeling is a good sign. Don't let it destroy you. What do you, what do you think for this? Yeah, this is, uh, you wouldn't expect the back of a city uh, backdrop to look like this. Right. right. Like this is all of New York City. This is New York City. One-dimensional. <laughs> One-dimensional. Yeah, this is what people don't get to see. Uh, it's funny. It's an analogy for life. The front of this building is the way life is portrayed on Instagram. That's right. And the back of it is the hollowness of people's internal life. That's right. Oh, my God. This is this. This is Instagram yes. in a nutshell. The goal is to take the blank canvas of your life, the raw clay, and shape it into this. How about that for a metaphor? That is, that is great. <laughs> Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Oh my gosh. We're great. absolutely gonna do this again. There's yes. so much to learn, so much to gain from here. And of course, recording in a stage like Universal Studios is more fun than any other set. And uh, we look forward to having you back on. And maybe at that point, we'll go more into relationships and different topics. Yeah. But we appreciate all the insight and I'm sure our listeners will, uh, will gain a tremendous amount of wisdom. Guys, thank you for tuning in. Episode number 12 in the books. We look forward to having you on the next episode as well. Like, share, comment, subscribe, and we'll talk soon.